Welcome to the Carl Landry Record Club, a music podcast from the rights Ricky Sanchez. I'm Spike Eskin. Mootlu joins me. Hello, hey, sir. Hey, how's it going, man? Great. How are you? I'm hanging in there, man. One day at a time. When's your is your first show back, Daryl's house in July? Yeah, it's about uh, okay. two and well, from when we're recording this, two. And oh, a half. so it'll be it'll be it'll be almost by the time this comes out, it'll it'll be, be like that week. Happening. So yeah. as we're as people are hearing this, it'll be this week. Friday, July 9th, Daryl's house. So yeah, if anyone's listening, you know, make sure to get tickets because it's limited capacity. It's a great room. You know, it's a little, it's a little bit of a trek if you're coming from different parts of the tri-state area from Philly. If you're in the kind of New York, Connecticut, it's not too far, but it's going to be fun. It's, I'm excited. First show in a year and a half. It's, I'm like almost nervous in a weird kind of way. Yeah. It brings back the butterflies when, but then, then do you not have a show again until the fall? Is that how it is? Well then, well, no, then, uh, I have one more date with Amos. Oh, right, 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 right. Late July. I'm doing a bunch of dates with Amos, uh, which I'm really excited for. Yeah. So the way it's going to work is I'll do the Daryl's show. I don't have much over the summer. Then the fall is going to get really busy. Great. Daryl's show July 9th, and then I have a show uh, opening for Amos uh, July 23rd in Delaware, Selbyville, Delaware. It's kind of near Maryland. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then nothing else really for the summer, but then I have a whole run of dates with Amos in September. Um, like we're doing Boulder, Massachusetts, Louisville, and then October and November is when my tour starts. Awesome. So, yeah, pretty much early September, right up to around Thanksgiving, uh, the, the schedule's, you know getting jam-packed and still adding dates for my fall uh, tour. But, yeah, it's going to be kind of cool, man. It's, in a way, the fact that Amos and I are out doing shows together again, it makes me feel like there's some sense of normalcy coming back because we, we always have such a great time out there. And uh, Now, I saw you do a show, Boot and Saddle, and you guys got up on stage and acted like idiots for a little <laughs> bit. Do you when, when you're playing bigger shows, do you ever get on stage and... And act like idiots, or is it only in the smaller ones? Oh, no, bigger shows, too. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Pretty much almost every show I do with him, there's I usually make some sort of cameo appearance on his <laughs> set. And sometimes we'll do something more straight ahead, but more often than not, it's kind of silly. There's some kind of silly component to it. There's a song of mine called Caramel. Yep. We'll do that one sometimes. Uh, so, Or sometimes it could be one of his songs that I'll jump up on, and we'll we'll come up with something kind of absurd. But again, sometimes we'll do a straight ahead kind of thing too. Now, th- when I was in his band for a few years, we really took it to another level because uh, I was in the band, some nights I would open as well, but I was singing backgrounds and then almost every show I would do a costume change and I would come out as the angel. I had this like white suit, white hat. There's oh, some boy. videos There's some videos on YouTube. There's actually a lot of them from that time frame. That was... Over the course of a couple of years, probably 20, 2011, 2012, around the Mission Bell. And okay. every night, that was part of the bit. I would get off stage, do this costume change, come on as the angel, and do this whole shower of love routine. We even had shampoos that I would throw out there sometimes. And uh, so that was where we took it to a whole different level. But normally, nowadays, if I'm out opening, I'll just jump up, you know, without a, without a suit on. And we'll just, you know, we, we our, our thing is like we... We love the absurd side of music, I think. Yeah, you know? yeah, I, I've seen it. I've seen it happen. I've, I've, I've heard there's plenty of absurd, not just not just side of music. I, no, just not, it's way beyond music, uh, hoagie mouth, got, everything. You guys remind me of my brother and I in that when you get together, all of a sudden, 
the jokes only matter to you two, and you don't really care if anybody else <laughs> finds it funny. And a lot of times, nobody else even knows what you're kidding about. Right. You know that that's what it. That's what it. It. Uh, it it's charming. I think people like it. You it's know? like you hope everyone finds it funny. I think it's somewhere between some of it, like the inside jokes people find funny, or it's sometimes just enough that if we find it funny, yeah, yeah, that they that they dig it. You know, it's like it's just that camaraderie, I guess. Well, it's like if you're in a movie theater and there are other people laughing, you're more likely to laugh. It's the same with being right. scared. You know, if, if if you guys are finding it funny, then I think there's a better chance that other people find it funny, even if they don't get it. So, absolutely, absolutely. This podcast is a music appreciation podcast. Our intro music, which we appreciate, is from Marion Hill. I should let you know is in the song. You can suggest an album for us to talk about. We talk about two albums every pod, and one of them is almost always from you. Almost. It, so far, it's been always from you, one of them. So if you want to suggest one, do it in the Apple Podcast Reviews. Scroll down, give us five stars, leave the suggestion in the reviews, and then grip it, rip it, and then move on. The podcast today, about two albums, My Choice we alternate moot loose choice my choice my choice is mace's harlem world yeah came out october 28th 1997 which will be forever known as mace day and i will tell you about that when we talk about the album <laughs> it's a very important album in my my college years and the listener choice is lexi lou's meta ego which came to us from apple podcast user fightin phillies the subject line is great pod, enjoyable slash easy listening to discover great music. Really think Spike will get a kick out of this album. Catchy, tight production, atmospheric, Chinese-American hip-hop slash pop record. Definitely a lot of descriptors in there. You don't see all at once, usually. So we will. Uh, it's an interesting album we'll talk about in a bit. If you don't use Apple Podcasts, that's okay. You can suggest an album anyway. Just do it at carlandryrecordclub.com. I respect you for not using Apple Podcasts, even though I do. All right. Oh, oh by the way, I don't know if you listened to it. I didn't. I should have just mentioned it to you to listen to it. Did you listen to the new Lord single? I was curious I if you I did not. I, oh, okay. I saw a couple things, and I just didn't... Uh... You should listen to it. We'll talk about it next pod. I don't want to talk about it now. It's a it, right good on. tune. Yeah, it's worth you checking out. I dig what she does. I feel like she's there's been other artists that we've talked about that she's influenced and that's kind of crazy yeah, to say sure. about an artist who's so young but I feel like she uh, has been a game changing artist in, in some ways yeah I think so uh, very cool Lord I don't want to do the whole Lord thing without you hearing the song so we'll wait until you hear the song we'll do it uh, we'll do it next time start off with Mace Mace's Harlem World Mace Day October 28th 1997 I have to ask a question is this a spike thing or is this a thing well, it's a spike thing. It's, it's not a, a real spike thing. thing. Okay. Yeah. I just wanted to clarify. Yeah. <laughs> Mace was born one Mason Betha in Florida, Jacksonville, I believe. Moved to Harlem when he turned three years old. Grew up there. Played high school basketball with Cameron, also a very famous rapper. Really? Yeah. Internet reports about how good Mace was in high school are debatable, but some say he was really good, some not so much. But apparently he wanted to play professionally, but had trouble getting the grades that he needed to get into a high-level college. So he ended up going to SUNY Purchase. Uh, SUNY is State University, New York. So there's a lot of SUNY schools. Uh, and started concentrating on his music career. And then he and Cameron started a duo 
called Children of the Corn. He was at the time known as Murda Mace, which you, you hear in his lyrics a lot. He will reference Murda Mace. And Cameron was Killa Cam. So about a year afterwards, Puff, Puff Daddy, who he was at the time, now is he, he's just Diddy now, right? Puff Daddy. Right. Yeah, right. Do we, so, when did he become Diddy? I was trying to So tra- it went from that. Puff Daddy to P. Diddy to just Diddy. Okay. That, that is the, the timeline, I believe. I, I don't remember when it was, but it, he's just Diddy now. So he gets signed by Puff Daddy for $250,000. In my opinion, immediately became the best featuring guy in all of rap. It's like if you put Mace on your record, <laughs> then your record becomes a hit. And the first one he was ever on was 112's Only You. The 112 Only You remix is amazing with Mace and Biggie. Just real, like, I would say essential bad boy era record is 112 with Mace. And then he was on Mo Money, Mo Problems. Who's hot, who not? Tell me who rock, who sell out in the stores? You tell me who flop, who cop the blue drop, who jewels got blocks, who mostly go shit down to the blue drop. The same old pimp, Mace, you know ain't nothing changed but my limp. Can't stop till I see my name on And he was on, which was on Biggie's Life After Death album. He was on Can't Nobody Hold Me Down and Been Around the World, which was on Puff Daddy's No Way Out album. He was on, I'm just trying to think of all the featurings he's had. He was on, uh... He was actually on a Brian McKnight song. Oh, really? Uh, you could be mine. Yeah, you should. It's a short wow. verse, but it's on there. Yeah. So then his debut album, Harlem World, comes out in '97, and in the, at the time I was in college in Syracuse, and we worked at Z89, which was a, a, a top forty, you know, college radio station, and we. We had like a hip-hop show on Saturday nights and a dance show on Friday nights. And we were so fired up for the Mace record release that we forever named October 28th, 1997, Mace Day. We still text each other on Mace Day. Wow, really? 20-some years later. Yeah, it was a very big moment for us, the Mace record coming out. Feel So Good comes out, and that was the first single, and it was... Really, really, really big. You know, it was like at our station, it was the number one most requested song on, on the record. And I think the number one most requested song we had, I think in a lot of ways that Harlem World is sort of the quintessential bad boy album when you think about the bad boy era. Life After Death, obviously, well, Biggie's album and, and uh, like, there, there are albums that will be considered greater than Harlem World. But I think that Harlem World had more of what bad boy ended up being known for than any other album that came out. It had great hooks. It had, I, I thought, the, I think the lyrics are good. Like, I thought it was clever. He had 
I think, the quintessential bad boy flow. It had a great list of features on there. You know, 8-Ball MJG are on the record, Black Rob, DMX, Total, The Locks, Busta Rhymes, Jay-Z. Huge number of producers on the record. Jermaine Dupree produced a couple songs. uh, Derek D. Angeletti produced songs. Puffy, of course. And then the samples, which is what Bad Boy really became known for. So Feel So Good had a Cool in the Gang sample. Uh, Cheat on You had Don't Stop Till You Get Enough by Michael Jackson. Love You So sampled Tina Marie. Jealous Guy samples New Edition. The, to me, this album was just what, what Bad Boy was. And I thought Mace, Mace was sort of like, or the way he was presented, was sort of like Biggie's harmless younger brother is sort of the way that it came off to me. And he had that sort of laid-back flow that Biggie had, but I, I thought the lyrics were funnier in a lot of ways, and I thought they were sort of less in your face in a lot of ways. And he, we, you know, you talk about musicians being in the pocket. I always felt like he was in the pocket of the song. Mace just fit in songs in a way that no other rapper at the time did, which is why I thought he was such a great featuring rapper because he could fit into any song. He could elevate any song without overpowering any song. The songs, I, I think, beginning to end, this album is excellent. There, there are very few misses, maybe a couple of misses on the song. My favorite ones, other than Feel So Good, the one that we mentioned, 24 Hours to Live. Oh, yeah. That's my yeah. favorite track by a long shot. Dude, it's so good. I had it, I listened to that three times in a row. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's so good. So it's got Black Rob, it's got DMX, it's got does Jada Kiss in it? I think. Yeah, because uh, yeah. yeah. And who's the other member of the? I'm forgetting his name now because it was Jada Kiss. Uh, and, Sheik. Uh, right. Right. Yeah. So <laughs> that that song talk about a like a posse cut and. It's all the reason I love the lyrics is that it's called 24 Hours to Live, and everybody's verse is about what they would do if they had 24 hours left to live. And it's so good. I actually think my favorite was it the locks line if I had 24 hours to kick the bucket, fuck it, I'd probably eat <laughs> some fried chicken and drink a Nantucket. And then, and then <laughs> Black Rob is talking about. Uh, the the tavern on the green robbery, I don't was even alive for that robbery. I don't know. It was just it's such an amazing song. I think twenty four hours to live is. Yeah, and well, I see. There's so many moments like the ones you mentioned, but yeah, when DMX makes the Scarface reference. Oh yeah, that <laughs> he's still the standout. I feel like he's always the standout. Yes, absolutely. On every yeah. collaboration, no matter. Yeah, what. and we're we're talk- I was talking about you know I'm saying Mace is the like a great featuring. Obviously, DMX as a, a feature on a record is incredible as well, you know? So having having all these guys on one song is just amazing. So 24 Hours to Live. 
Do you want to hurt me? Is another. So I love how much Mace talks about himself in the third person. It's the whole album. It's honestly his whole career. This song and the other one that I'll mention talk about. He makes reference to being Murder Mace before, and then Puff Daddy came in and made him palatable, commercially palatable. And there's a, a lyric in here. Uh, from the M to the A, dollar sign E, come around money if you're ever trying to find me. I was murdered for six years, seen no clean from it, drop murder off, Mace woke up at Teen Summit. He's a good lyricist. I never understood he, why people, I felt like he wasn't held in the same esteem as some of his contemporaries. Maybe because he had the crossover appeal, but that was the bad boy sound. So he was, it was. working within it, that sound. So I never understood people knocking him because I feel like there was... So, sort of like I remember there being sort of like a backlash like oh this is just pop sure. rap or something like that but he was much more than that yeah I thought he was a, a great rapper he got too popular you know he was right. he was on to everything for a minute so then the other one and then I have one quick mention looking at me because his attitude shines through the most I, it is the most when he's bragging in other songs it's kind of funny to me but this one really feels like a, a fuck you song like he creates images, he he crafts stories. He's a, he's a truly like underrated lyricist, as popular as he was, I would say. And then the other one that I love is the last track in the album. It's Jealous Guy. It's a playoff, a new edition. It's just him. And Diddy singing way off key. Yeah, it's pretty brutal. At, at it's, it's, <laughs> it's so hard to get fun. through. Yeah. yeah, it's so funny. So I assume that you are at least familiar with this record, and you, you're a fan. I can't imagine you not being a fan of this record. Yeah, you know, I I, I knew Mace. Of course, how could you not know Mace at that time? It almost brought back like a nostalgia because he was everywhere for a while. Mm -hmm. But yeah. I never really got into this album as a whole. I, I recognized some of the tunes, but you were talking about just that he is a really distinctive voice. Like, he was a guy mm -hmm. that, if you put him on a feature, immediately recognizable. And I, we've had this conversation about other vocalists, be it singers or MCs, that I always come back to the Gamble and Huff thing. Like, they, they wanted singers who had great skill and technique, mm -hmm. but more than anything, they wanted vocalists who were distinctive. Yes. So if you heard Teddy Pendergrass, if you heard Billy Paul, if you heard Eddie Levert, you would know who it was. Immediately. Immediately yeah. recognizable. And that holds true for a lot of the greatest MCs. It's Biggie, uh, I was in Q-Tip, immediately mm -hmm. recognizable, and Fife, yep. you know, uh, just to name a few. DMX, of course. And I think yep. Mace has that. You know right away within a few bars who this is. And it's like, F it's laid back, but there's always this swagger to what he does. And he actually has a great rhythmic dexterity and how he puts it together. So it's it's deceptive because he seems so laid back, but there's definitely some some edge to it there. There are a lot of rappers that ended up sort of following in this, in the way that he rapped. Like Cameron, obviously, I think, followed in the way that he rapped. I think Shine, who came on later on, who sounded more like Biggie, 
but was part of it. I even think Black Rob was part of this whole, but Mace perfected it. I thought Mace, Mace did it perfectly. And it's just like, they, sometimes two people come together in life at the exact right time. And I really think Puffy and Mace at the same time coming together was just a moment. Watching the video for Can't Nobody Hold Me Down is like, man, these guys just fucking nailed it. For, for a minute, there was nobody better. And it wasn't, it wasn't just that they were popular. It was perfect. It was just a perfect mix of, of all of those things, of the beat was perfect, the sample was perfect, the hooks were perfect, the rapping was great. And it, you're right, it doesn't get... It gets looked upon because it was so commercially successful, I think, as not being as artistically, you know, valid as, you know, we've mentioned Eric B. and Rakim before or any of any of the rappers of the 90s or Nas or even Jay-Z. But, man, this is one of my favorite eras. I, I remember when they did the Puff Daddy and the Family World Tour in the 90s, and I saw it twice. And I've seen a lot of rap shows, but that was the only rap show that came off like a rock show that was as enormous as a rock show was. There was just such a moment, and this album signifies that moment to me more than any other album. Yeah, you think of just the influence that Diddy had at that time and everything he was involved with Mm -hmm. hit a critical mass. And, you know, Biggie, and of course this, this era, this album, and just Mace, but yeah, he was, it's hard, it's, it's, it's hard maybe for younger listeners to like connect back to that, but he was mm-hmm. he, he was everywhere for a while. I mean, yeah. he was in, embedded in pop culture, I think, for like better part of a decade, and he still has a presence. He's an icon at this point, and I try not to overuse that term, but he absolutely is. But well, I the- think I did, Diddy kind of was music pop culture for a minute. Right, you know, like right. it, it, it was it was at a, nothing gets this big anymore. Nothing gets as big as as Bad Boy was at that time. It's it's hard if if you're listening to this and you're younger, you can think of a song that's popular, but nothing was as popular as this shit was. Like nothing was as popular as all about the Benjamins or Moan Money Mo Problems or the no. I I just I don't think anything hits that critical mass anymore. I think part of it is just the way people absorb media. For sure. Everything is so niche. You can't make that it's close to impossible to make that across the board. Yeah, connection, and then I think if you want to take it back another decade, there's no one who was able to hit the way Michael Jackson did. Right, it's yes. almost like it keeps getting more diluted and fragmented. Yeah, yep. as we go to now, where you're right, there's nothing that could touch the bad boy appeal. This one of the thing about this is, I was thinking about this, the underpinning of like '70s and '80s mm-hmm. soul and funk music. Yeah, the production is like a homage to those. Uh, yeah. To those records and unabashedly so you, you you mentioned some of the artists that they sample and it got me thinking about and as far as rock music in a parallel kind of way the rock music that i enjoy the most always has the underpinning of the blues you yep. hear the blues in it and uh-huh. i'm thinking back to one of the records we did that you brought in cinderella now that's not an album i would have necessarily delved into on my own you know at first glance it's quintessential hair band but when you listen to that record, great songs, great performances, but there's the blues in it. You hear the mm-hmm. blues in it. And with this music, you always hear that that 70s, 80s soul funk sound. They actually start the record with an Isaac Hayes sample, which I thought was cool. Oh, the, the intro, the, the yeah. Harlem World intro. Yeah. 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 So I just, I just love that. Oh, 45th Street. 
on 12th Street, on 35th Street. This is the birthplace. You know, it never strays from that influence. And just, I think a lot of my favorite hip-hop, you know, is very unabashed in the way it incorporates those classic soul, funk influences. And if, what I always loved about Tribe is they went into a different direction, like they, they took some more of the jazz, mm-hmm. you know. But uh, it's just musically compelling at every turn. You know, to sample uh, to sample Cool in the Gang and then interpolate Miami Sound Machine. Yeah. You know, and then Puff even says in that one, like, you know, we take hits from the 80s, but it sounds so crazy. So you know? crazy, yeah. You know, I just... Uh, it's like it's a celebration musically of that of those sounds, and they found a way to reinvent it and make it their own. It's kind of like the imposition of personality, you know, and it was strong. Well, and it was fun. It yeah. was it was not every record has to be important or deep or anything, and it doesn't mean that this is dumb. I don't think it's dumb. I just it was. It was so much fun. Like going to these concerts was so much fun. Hearing these songs for the first time was so much fun. Even, I think I mentioned, oh yeah, when, when we had Ike on and we were talking about DMX, when my wife got me tickets and we went to the Bad Boy 20th anniversary tour at the Wells Fargo Center. And she was like, well, what do you think the crowd's gonna be like? And I was like, they will all be my exact age and it'll be <laughs> half black people and half white people. And she said, she was like, really? I'm like, yeah. And we get there, and that's what it was. It was like everybody, it was the night out when everybody got babysitters for their kids, and everybody had such a good time. There was nothing nothing angry about the music, nothing sad about the music, only fun. And this album is just fun from beginning to end. Yeah, and it's interesting, this sound, that bad boy era is identified with a very particular point in time, very specific point in mm-hmm. time. Yeah. And yet I don't I don't when I listen to it now it doesn't sound dated to me. It still sounds musically compelling to me. I mean it doesn't it doesn't, you know, you can listen to records from the 80s sometimes or you you'll hear something from the 70s or 60s you you say okay, there's something dated about this, but I think cuz some of the underlying musical influences are sort of yeah. classic and timeless and because what's going on lyrically is is really top notch. It doesn't it doesn't feel tethered to that time, although we identify it with that time. Yeah, I think a lot of times when things are produced lushly, they age well. Yep. I, I I always think a lot of times when it doesn't mean that everything that isn't produced lushly doesn't age well, but a lot of times when you have records from the 70s, 80s, or 90s that don't seem to hold up in the same way, it's because the production isn't big. But the production on this is very bright and well done and you know we've talked a lot of times about open there's not a lot of open space in these songs no. <laughs> you know the, these are these are there's track after track after track i would love to see the computer version of what this track what these tracks look like you know i i imagine there's a lot of tracks in this, this is like dozens of tracks if you look at like the pro tools or yeah whatever yep. the session files are yeah for sure so this is this is a, a Ten Mutlu record for me forever. This is one of the all timers. I now you say it doesn't it it ages well when I've had, you know, millennials or Gen Z listen to it. They don't seem to like it as much as I would hope they do. But I I don't know. I I it's an it's an all time record to me. Hardly I wonder more. if that's because 
they don't necessarily like the songs that are being sampled or referenced. Maybe that's it. Maybe there's no connection to it, you know, and and we do have those connections to it. Yeah, I don't know. Even been around the world, you know, sampling a song that you already know. It it's a, it's a trick, right? Because it makes the song instantly familiar. Yeah. When that happens, you know, you instantly like it because you like the sample already. That it's like it's like cover songs are, are a trick, you know. So yeah, maybe I don't and know. it's more challenging in some ways though when you interpolate a hook or use a sample to make it still something special in its own right. Yeah, yeah. You have to really yeah. deliver like a fresh idea in the lyrics mm -hmm. or maybe in the melody, but more often than not in the lyrics to make it something. So it's actually more challenging in some ways. Yeah, to... that's what I think. More challenging. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all right. Well, Mace's Harlem World, if you've never listened to it, you should listen to it. I think I could put together a Bad Boy Essentials list, I think, that would be you Might have to do that playlist, for the Carl. Right? Yeah, you might yeah. have to do Spike's Essential Bad Boy. Yeah, I'll, I'll do a I'll do an essential bad boy and a rest in peace, Black Rob. You know, we I think he died right after DMX. That's at, crazy. Another, Within a week, like days of each yeah. other, right? And man. they were the same age, same age. Those two guys. So. R.I.P. Man. All right, why don't we do the listener album? Comes from Lexi Liu. It is called Meta Ego, and it is brought to us by Apple Podcast user Fightin' Philly. Sometimes when I get low, you just stare at your phone out. Slow down and read your mind If I got time, I'ma give it one try Yeah, Lexi Lou, Meta Ego. I really like this album. Mm -hmm. uh, just to give a little background on Lexi Lou, she's quite young, born in Changza in the capital of Hunan province in China in December of 98. So she's only 22 years old. She's already been doing her thing for quite some time. She got interested in music from a very young age, started dancing at four, playing piano at six. In her junior year of high school, she transferred to an international school and then decided during her senior year that she was going to take the year off to focus on music. Okay. Which is a bold decision. You're still in school yeah. to you know really go for it. At that time, she joined a group called Mazinga S and they went to Korea to participate in K-Pop Star 5, which is a competition show, performance competition show over there. And they came in fourth place. So that started to give her some, some visibility. Her debut single then followed, a song called Coco Made Me Do It. In early 2017, and got significant traction. Around that same time, early that year, she performed at South by Southwest and made a, quite an impression there. I think that started helping her to build her profile within the U.S. music industry. In July 2018, she took part in the Rap of China, which is a Chinese rap competition. And she came in fourth place on that show. So she's someone who kind of built her visibility up and started to build her name, especially over in China and Korea through being on these competition shows. So November 18, her song Sleepaway came out and was named by Fader as one of the 10 songs you need in your life. Yeah. 
That was wow. filed in December 18 by the song Nada. Which was selected among Apple Music's Best of the Week. So she started, she's been sort of percolating and making a name for herself here in the U.S. for a few years now. In early uh, 2019, her debut EP, 2030, dropped. Then later that year, uh, December 2019, came this record that we're talking about. And she's put out one more since then, an uh, album called Gone Gold. But uh, just to get into this one, into Meta Ego, I'm going to spotlight a few of the songs. Because I, I really, really like this. The lead track, Manta. Really kind of sets the tone for the whole record. Uh, has this sort of like ethereal, atmospheric kind of production. This is something I've noticed more and more in pop production, including with some of the songs that Jason AU have brought in. This almost like psychedelic sound, yeah. and it's kind of more just this atmospheric, moody kind of production. I love that that's where pop music seems to be going because it's there's a lot you can do within that sound, that sort of psychedelic kind of thing. Yeah, it is. It's not just straight pop music. Explorative pop music. There's just so much going on in the background in a really, really cool way. I I thought this was just simple, you know, current pop. Not not pop pop, but you know, like hip hop leaning pop. But as the album goes on, I I feel like there's more and more and more of that stuff. You know, like I, I feel like it gets deeper and deeper into that sort of crazy um psychedelic thing that you're talking about yeah there's a very high level of production again when you take that kind of atmospheric sound you know if you put it on the headphones you hear layers of things you hear little sounds on the left side of the mix of there's a very meticulous approach to this kind of production it's not easy production to do mm -hmm. but at the center of it all is lexi Liu. she uses this you know bilingual lyrical approach she goes back and forth uh <clears throat> effortlessly between Chinese and English, and she sings and raps in Chinese and English. Sometimes within the same verse, she'll go back and forth, and she sounds great in both languages, and it's, it really is seamless and just makes for like a very compelling listen. And as I was listening to it, I just got the sense that this is like a distinctly global pop artist. You know, yeah. someone who's living and making music uh, between two different cultures and and drawing influences from both and I feel like she's very much an artist of this time, kind of pointing the direction where things can go musically. Yeah. There's a few other tunes that really stood out to me. There's a song called Penrose. There's a section midway through that one where she does this more rapid fire kind of rhythmic verse and she alternates between Chinese and English. And that song really showcases like her vocal skill, her like her dexterity. At times she uses this kind of hybrid style of singing and rapping. And that's on a number of songs that she takes that approach. And again, she, every vocal style she gets into or mood she gets into, she does really well. Mm -hmm. Another tune that stood out to me was Whenever. Oh, yeah. 
And uh, that has like this beautiful like ar- arpeggio acoustic guitar that kind of drives the, drives the track. It has this really cool synth pad, kind of an atmospheric kind of thing. And that one is more of a straight up showcase for her as a singer. And I just really like her voice. She has this like understated, soulful clarity in the way there's, and just a great cadence and timbre to her voice. You know, it's interesting, like this this was really inspiring to me in some ways because you listen to artists like Lexi Liu and she's someone who's crossing cultural barriers. She really kind of exemplifies this like increasingly global nature of pop music and Mm -hmm. gives me a sense of hopefulness not to get (laughs) not to get too philosophical about it but we're in this time politically where things are so divided you know across across the world you know you see this rise of far right-wing nationalism and it's all about you know entrenching borders and barriers and exclusion and i think as all that's happening the global music culture pop culture is going the other way it's serving as like an antidote to what's happening politically. Mm-hmm. And someone like Lexi Liu, I think, represents that. And, you know, more and more, I think because of streaming platforms, because of social media, you see how artists, I think, are inspiring each other around the world. It's, it's, pop music is becoming more of an uh, international phenomenon. It's more interconnected and it's more inclusive. You know, and I think in time we're going to see more and more international artists start to hit the charts here, and more and more U.S. artists might be able to go to parts of the world where they couldn't tour before. I think she represents something very like special and meaningful and necessary at this time. She, there's a line in the song "Amnesia" that I thought was really apt, and is sort of the maybe a calling card and a line that all good pop music should represent, but she says it. And she said, I know my story is cliche, but it's funny how somehow you relate to me. There's nothing cliche about this music at all, right? But th- that's what pop music's supposed to do, right? It's supposed to have these stories that are universal. The pop music is not just about the sound and the hook. People love. That, that's why breakup songs are so good. That's why love songs are so good. They they reflect these universal emotions that people have and these universal experiences. And I, I think that what you're talking about you know, international artists and and people sort of trying to bring people together. It's done through commonality. And that that is cliche stories, right? Because all of our stories are the same on a very base level. If you pull if you pull far enough away, all of our stories are very, very similar. You know, we have parents, we love, we hurt, we we face challenges, all of those things. But it takes a special artist to write the songs in a way that connect and write the lyrics in a way that make people feel like their story is similar, right? And I I think that's what great pop music does. And dude, to have, truly, there's a lot of, and we we talk, there's a lot of artists that do Spanish and English, like Spanglish type singing, but there's nobody that does or at least that I know of, that I've heard that sort of seamlessly does it with Chinese, like you made it, going back from Chinese to English. It's so seamless that I would have to go back 
and listen to the song to figure out where she went to Chinese and where she right. went to English. Because the flow is so continuous, you know, the way she's singing it, which is really neat. I That's think. a great point because it it feels like it's a very inherent stylistic thing that she does. Mm-hmm. It, it feels yeah. easy. You know, it's not that easy to be sort of jumping back and forth in the same verse between two different languages. Something about the way she delivers the lines in both languages are consistent. Mm-hmm. It's not like... Which is incredible. Incredible. Because, incredible. They, because, because they cadence in... I don't know Chinese, obviously, but when I hear people speaking Chinese and hear people speaking English, it's not the same rhythm. No. You know, but she's able to do that. And I think that's really awesome. You mentioned the song, Whenever. I really love her voice against strings. Mm-hmm. And it's there in Amnesia, too. And Amnesia is even more laid back. It, the album gets, it seemed like pop music in outer space. That's what it sounded <laughs> like, too. It sounded like the songs were were so expansive that I imagined them in space. But as the album goes on, I think it gets more laid back and more spread out. Like it, it seems like there is a a progression to the album, and it starts off in a pretty familiar pop sort of way with a pretty familiar sort of beat and a fil- pretty familiar sort of structure. And then as the album goes on, it spreads out and gets more laid back. And I think it even gets better as it goes because from the beginning, when, when I first started listening to it, I was like, "Eh, I don't. This is fine," but. The, as the album went on and the more I listened to it, the more I appreciated it. Yeah, I love it. I agree with that. At first, the track or two, I was like, oh, this is cool. It's cool. But as each track goes along, she shows different dimensions mm-hmm. of what she does. And I actually love a, an album that pays off like that. And it, it doesn't take a long time to do it. I mean, it's nine songs, 30 minutes, something like that. But mm-hmm. it doesn't really feel like there's filler on here either. No. It feels like every song is very purposeful. It feels like there is a you know, uh, a reason for the sequencing and why certain songs come in certain areas. And I was thinking about this, you know, some, this music just got me thinking about a lot of things just as far as culture and communication. And, you know, like I was saying, it got me thinking about how ominous politics are right now, but that there's like, if we just focus our energy towards these types of things, like music can always transcend. There's only a few things in human experience that can really do that, right? Yep. Music can do that probably more than anything. Food does that. And I was thinking sports are able to do that. You think about the NBA, and that's a global brand. I mean, basketball and the NBA are hugely pop- popular yep. all across the world. And now you see that reflected in the league. Some of the biggest stars, Joel Embiid, Giannis, mm-hmm. Luka Doncic, you know, it, it's, I don't know, it, 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 it makes me feel that there's some reason to be hopeful that we're not all just being sort of pulled away from one another. We're finding a way. There's other ways that we can connect, and they've always been there, but I just think it's necessary to have music like this that shows, like, you made a good point. It's like we all kind of have shared experiences, and there's a lot of divisions right now societally from a political standpoint that are amplifying the divisions, and yet with music, and a lot of times with film, television, sports, we have all these other outlets that show the commonality. Mm-hmm. And we're missing a lot of that. But I, I think, I do think she's, artists like her represent a trend. I think in the coming decade or so, we didn't see as much of this before where people who were singing in a, in a different language than English could hit the pop charts. I think that's going to change. I could be wrong, but I think that's going to change. Uh, and it's awesome to see an artist who just goes back and forth between Chinese and English and it feels, it just vibes. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, and not only, I meant to say this, not only does she go back and forth from Chinese to English, but she goes back and forth from rapping to singing right. in a pretty seamless way, which is pretty amazing, too. And this is, a, you said something sort of lame, so I'm going to follow it up with something else sort of lame. <laughs> if, when you think about it spatially, if people are pushed apart somewhere else, it means they're pushed together. If they're pushed apart in one place, they have to be pushed Together in another. Together somewhere else. Right, right. If you just think about a crowd, if the middle of that crowd, if they all separate from each other, it means that the other parts of the crowd are, are being pushed together and are, you know, I, I think that there, there's a natural ebb and flow to humanity and a natural equalization sometimes. And I think that art is what people look to. to you know, I, I understand when people don't want artists talking about political issues. Like, I get it. I don't care. I personally don't care. I support right. anybody who wants to say anything. I, but I understand when, when people don't want their athletes doing it or they don't want sports writers doing it or they don't want musicians doing it. It's because they are looking for a, an escape from those things. And that, that's, that's fine if that's how they feel. But I do think that musicians and athletes have a ability to bring people together like nobody else does because they do show that commonality between all of us and they're able to you know show people that even though they're different they have these shared experiences that are the same and that's it's an important thing about art you know and it it's important that people it's important that artists whether they talk about those things or not are dialed into the fact that they can be unifiers absolutely and i think she is someone who is very much of this time and maybe pointing to the future. Mm -hmm. She sort of came up playing in competition shows, you know, in China and Korea. She's also someone who's made a lot of inroads in the fashion industry. She has these different partnerships and sp sponsorships with different brands. It just, you know, she's only 22. It's like a lot of these younger artists are very savvy about cross-marketing and branding and understanding how to do that. Uh, maybe more so than the previous generation of artists. And I think... You know, this like notion of like, well, if you if you sell your music to a commercial or television show or if you cross promote with fashion, it's like it's selling out like that's gone. That's a thing of the past. Mm -hmm. Now it's almost you have to do that because that's just how media works. But I think it's actually something that's embraced now. And I think it's kind of a cool thing because all the different segments of pop culture ultimately connect to one another in some way. A hundred percent. They can't they, that. And that is the, the positive of the Internet. Right, the the negative of the internet is the division. The positive is the connection, is the the ease at which that we discover Lexi Lu. Right. Yeah. You know, the, the ease at which that that we're able to discover and and that people are able to discover these things. And so. that's important because we spent we have spent a lot of time talking about the negative side mm -hmm. of the. But there's a positive side. There is a positive side, and the fact that you can be even an independent artist, put up a track and. Within a few days, people are listening to you around the world. That's an incredible yeah. thing. You could have never imagined that 20 years ago. You know, so you're right. The fact that we can talk about an artist like this, be exposed to her, even know who she is, have some awareness, that's kind of a reflection of the time. It's not all, it's not all propaganda and misinformation. There's this other side of it, too, yeah. that I think is... Uh, that I think is changing music, changing the way people absorb music and changing the, the range of artists we can kind of be exposed to. 
Yeah, yeah, I agree. This is a cool album. This is this is Ten Mutlu shit, buddy. Oh yeah, Ten Mutlu. Yeah. This was a great pick. I feel like this is a classic Carl Landry Record Club kind of pick. Yeah, this absolutely. Moon Tooth lyrics born. Like some of these records are starting to stand out to me. I can't wait till you don't give something Ten Mutlu's. I, I just this it's it's an amazing streak that they're on. If we had only had the scoring system early on. You think so, I would have? I, I, th- there's a few that I would have not ten mootlood. Oh think, really? I think a couple times I was right on the yeah I was right on the border borderline. Yeah. Keep yeah. on pushing my love over the borderline. You know that maybe song? I'll maybe I'll pick something that I specifically don't think that you'll give ten mootloods just to see if I can. You have to really push the envelope, it. you know. Yeah. See if, uh, yeah. No, but this to me is ten mootloo all the way because I'm yeah. I'm like really excited to see what she does next. The fact that. She's making records records like this, and she's only 22. I feel like the best is still yet to come for her. Well, yeah, this came out in 2019, right? And there's so, one more record since then. Okay, so, yeah, so I have not heard. Did you listen to that? No, I'm I just kind of oh. did the deep dive into this one. But uh, Okay. But she's had she had the EP before this. She's mm-hmm. had one more record since then. She's had a number of singles. Uh, she's someone who is traveling around the world, I imagine, you know, performing it's been tougher for everyone during the pandemic, but I'd be interested to see her live because I just have this feeling that she's a really dynamic live performer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's cool, man. This is a cool recommendation. Thank you, Fighting Phillies. Yes, You're indeed. right that I did that. I did like it. Great pick. All right. Remember, give us your record recommendations. Do it at carlandryrecordclub.com or in the Apple Podcast reviews. We will. Uh, we'll talk to you next time. That's all. Stay free, my goose. <laughs> You put so much pressure on yourself to do it different every time. It's always funny. I, I- <laughs>